0: So there was this one time during the annual Hacker summer camp in Las Vegas. I went to the casino at Caesars with a friend. I don't gamble, but he did. And as I watched, it was clear to me that someone there knew how things worked. This unassuming guy across the table who was professional, cool, and winning hand after hand. My friend didn't do so well that night. He lost some money, but not a lot. As we were leaving the casino, I mentioned the guy, and my friend said, yeah, I saw him and I thought maybe he was a pro, but I also thought maybe I could beat him. Then my friend gestured to a bank of elevators where a door had just closed on three men in suits. They looked like they were going to the office to work, but this was Caesar's palace, and it was like 10 o'clock at night. No, they were taking the express elevators to the more expensive rooms at the top. And once there, down one of the hallways, behind a nondescript hotel room door, there was a whole another level of gambling going on, one that only the elite players got invited to play. I can only imagine what kind of money and reputation got you invited into that world. Turns out there's something similar within the hacking community. Sure, there are elite researchers, there are elite CTF players, and there are even elite pen testers. But there's also an elite group of bug bounty hunters, people who are sponsored to fly around the world to find and report vulnerabilities in products we use every day, like Uber and Airbnb, and get paid well for their efforts. And in a moment, you'll meet one of them. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Vimosi and in this episode I'm talking about live hacking events sponsored by various bug bounty organizations and also about those who want to give back to the community. People like Stoke, a Swedish hacker who participates in some of these elite bug bounty challenges and is a star of his own YouTube channel and has some advice for anyone wanting to get started in the world of hacking.
1: In the early 90s, uh, when everyone was just not having internet,
0: that's kind of where I started my journey. Like a lot of us, information security wasn't necessarily our first line of work. I started in journalism. Fortunately, I was covering security for ZDNet from day one and eventually got pretty good at explaining InfoSec to others. Stoke. He also started out with more humble origins. I started building computers. That that was the first thing, because
1: personal computers were one thing, but be, back in the days, they weren't really that you bought all off-the-shelf items. Laptops wasn't really a thing. So you, people were just building these custom computers. So, so I started to do that. that. That was it. This is the mid-area between... Everybody is running like IBM stuff into, uh, yeah, the, the custom computer. Um, so I did that. That's kind of where it all started for me. And, and, and I was really deep into the bulletin board system uh, thing where you, you actually just put
0: up a modem and just dialed. I know it's hard to think back, but remember, these were the dark ages before the graphical Internet that we know today. You would literally have to dial in a phone number for a particular BBS, and then sometimes you were charged long-distance phone rates, which meant that chatting online could become very expensive very quickly. But if you participated enough, you might hear of another BBS and another, so you wrote all these down, and later you would dial in and check them out as well. Mind you, this was pre-internet as we know it today. There was no central listing except what you gathered on your own. No InfoSec Twitter or Discord. There was no web page you could view. Again, the internet didn't exist back then. So you had to know someone who knew someone who was savvy enough to create and moderate these bulletin boards. Moderation was important. Sometimes conversations got, well, way out of hand quickly put up a
1: modem and just dialed a number and another modem answered and there was this ASCII art website-ish thing um, that you could use. You can post messages, you could download maybe crude songs and pictures and that kind of stuff. Internet speed weren't weren't their best or the, the bandwidth weren't the best because they were just shitty modems. And so I was really invested in that. I I
0: like that kind of social interaction part. That changed in the early 1990s with the introduction of the graphical World Wide Web and with web browsers and gradually a more direct access to the internet without the need for telephone modem. Internet came to
1: Sweden in the late 90s. Uh, I fell head over heels in love with news groups and, and everything that was like IRC related. Um, But I I wasn't really interested in hacking or security. I just knew it as a a culture that was a part of, you know, the worst trading scene and everything else, like cracking games and, and doing stuff. But I didn't. I I wasn't really interested in security because I was mainly interested in enterprise infrastructure, how to design big uh, lawns for for networking on organizations, like getting file shares up and running. So I was an early adopter of Windows infrastructure, like Windows, uh, early Windows for work groups, and later on, like NT4 and, and, and such. And so when Everyone else was running Novell Networks. I I was really deeply invested into what would be Active Directory at a later stage. So I kind of invested (laughs) about 25 years into uh, designing and hardening Active Directory solutions. Um, And somewhere around 2013, 2014, I uh, I, I was really invested in in Azure or or cloud-based solutions. So... That was that was a really the, also the turning point for me because I realized that okay if we're going to move all these uh, servers that we spent so much time on hardening and securing securing behind a perimeter and we're just putting it in somebody else's data center without questioning what we're doing uh, I figure out that. I kind of had a knack for identifying misconfigurations and because I know where people cheated. And so I started to do more offensive work after that, just hardening solutions by doing the offensive work, trying to break in, then fixing it, trying to break in, fixing it, teaching other people how to do that and then fixing it. Bounties came on the radar for me. Um, I think it was in, it kind of came on my radar somewhere around 2017.
0: In 2017, Stoke created a YouTube channel designed around two things, teaching skills and building community. The original episodes were in Swedish, but switched to English as his audience grew. Later that year, he attended his first hacker summer camp in Las Vegas. 2017, that was the first time I got to go to DEF CON. It's not cheap
1: to travel to the US and stay in Vegas if you're not having a sponsor to pay for you to go. So so I saved a lot of money to go. Uh, and, and when I got there, I was so inspired by the whole hacker culture that surrounded DEF CON and Black Hat. And more or less kind of social engineer myself into a hacker one live hacking event used to be at the bar uh and and i saw these amazing hackers there that that were sitting at their macbooks and hacking away and and just breaking uh this kind of software target that they were hacking and i was so amazed that you allowed to do that without getting um you know, getting legal issues with that. Like, oh, are you guys allowed to do this? Can, can you actually just throw anything you want at it? And there will be no reprimand. There will be no consequences. I'm like, yeah. And we get paid massive amount of money for it. I'm like, oh my God, this is too freaking amazing. How, how can I do this? And, uh, and that, after that, I invested almost all my waking hours into learning web application pen testing because coming from the infrastructure side, I never really poked at web apps. I I still, I still can't code for shit, to be honest. I, I, I know, I know PowerShell, but you're, you're not building any web apps with PowerShell, are you? So, so for me, that was kind of the whole journey and I've, I've been doing it. I wouldn't say daily, but almost since that day, poking at something and, uh, it's really, really fun. And also coming from those days where if you just by accident, poked at something, it would be like straight go to jail card uh, or you will be like, there will be a really problematic thing where people think that hackers equals criminals, which is not true at all. Uh, hackers are just extremely curious people with a big skill set and you can decide to be good or bad. Um,
0: I, I just fell in love with it, and I've been doing it ever since. Something else happened at DEF CON that year. Stoke began to make connections with some of the leaders of the bug bounty community that existed at the time.
1: And I went to DEF CON that, that summer, uh, for Hacker Summer Camp, and I and I started to look up each and every talk that I could find, and there were particularly two people that stood out for me, and it was um, Jason Haddix and uh, Ben Sege DeBoer or Nahamsek. I probably just trashed his name there. Uh, but th- those guys just stood out as two of the most leading people inside the bug bounty or web application pe- pen testing space at that time, especially when you're not doing like the classic OWASP top 10. You're doing more interesting, fun stuff like recon and trying to identify things. And I just said to myself one day, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm so inspired. I want to be like those guys. If I had a chance to meet those guys, I'm I'm just gonna do whatever I can to give back to the community, just like they inspired me. And it didn't take too long until I met both of them. and uh, And they really inspired me to start creating content on my own. So that was the knack. Super inspired about their ability to share technical stuff. And everything that I learned, I decided as soon as I learned something, I'm going to give it back. The way that this community, the bounty community, is just sharing stuff in a very competitive space. uh, I want to do
0: that too, but I want to do it even more. It's true. I may not have a formal background in computer science, but I do have a CISSP credential. I learned InfoSec from hanging out with various people in the hacking community. I learned by reading and attending conferences, not just Hacker Summer Camp, but also ShmooCon, B-Sides, and others. And I really learned InfoSec by doing, by taking hands-on classes and getting certificates in wireless and automotive hacking. So yeah, there's really no clear path to learning any of this stuff. So Stokes set out on a personal mission to change that. I just
1: want to give back and share and remove all kind of gatekeeping and inspire people. So anyone can just get into it and get started. Because even though if they don't end up doing bounties, they will gain cybersecurity knowledge. And they will probably just end up at an organization somewhere where they can have a little bit of influence and say, I know this thing is called bug bounties and usually we do blah, blah, blah stuff. Maybe we should make sure our apps are secure as well. So, super inspirational.
0: By now, you're probably wondering what's the difference between being a pen tester and being a bug bounty hunter. Both are individuals brought in by companies wanting to harden their systems. But there are differences.
1: Pen testing... And bug bounties are uh, particularly the same kind of concept. You, You look for vulnerabilities and you send them in. The big difference between bug bounties and pen testing particularly is that you always do a lot of pen testing before you do bug bounties. So pen testing is a methodology and a rule set based testing, which means that you check the boxes, you make sure that the... It's like building a house, right? If you want to build a new house, you want to make sure that the power wiring is up to code. So somebody needs to do the work. The the electrician has done the work, but then the certification guy that checks that everything is cool, he's kind of the pen tester. He checks all the boxes, makes sure that everything's safe, nothing is leaking out. Bounties, on the other hand, is when all this pen testing and hardening has been done and then bounties begin because it's, you, you, don't, you don't get the wiring report that shows how the wires have been pulled through the house. You just have to guess, like, I wonder how they did the wiring on this house. And you need to start to map out things in a very different way. As a pentester, you need to be an extremely good generalist. You need to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. But in bounties, you can be a super specialist in a very niched field and be like very researching a certain area. And because you don't need to write a coverage report, you just
0: need to focus on one thing. I would say that is kind of the biggest difference. Stoke is quick to point out that bug bounty hunting is not for everyone. With pen testing, it's kind of a white box experience. You have visibility and some access to what you're testing. With bug bounties, it's the opposite. It's a black box in that you have no idea how this relates to that. And for some people, not having that visibility, having to poke into the abyss is just not possible. The black box situation when
1: it comes to bounties is almost ridiculous, but it's also that's, that is for me extremely rewarding. And I, I've got this hobby that I like to... I, I like to put down puzzles. So, so I, let's say I buy a, piece, a box of a puzzle. And if we compare this to bounties, that would be if I bought a box But it didn't have any picture on the top of the box and it had um it said that it might just contain a certain amount of uh pieces in it and all the pieces are blank so you need to start to sort up the pieces in their shapes you need to try to figure out like what's going on here and doing all that stuff and you can't ask anyone you can't find any reference you need to do the research so maybe you will start looking at oh this manufacturer of puzzles seems to do it almost the same every time because they have this framework that they use stamp down and it looks the same so you start to look at the patterns how the puzzle is built up and trying to figure things out it's fully black on black everything is very blind you need to relay on time-based attack frameworks you need to approach it as if you're you need to to try to figure things out on the way, and it's I, and I really enjoy that. It's a very challenging
0: target, usually. So prior to 2017, prior to attending Defcon 25, had Stoke ever tried his hand at bug bounty hunting? I heard
1: about bounties before, but I didn't really understand it. Then you know, heard about this super cool hackers like Franz Rosen that hacked Netflix or got flown into Vegas to poke at, let's say Snapchat or something. I don't know what kind of target they they poked at. But that was just for me, mind blowing. Like, wow, super cool hackers that get to break into stuff. I want to do that. And it was all cloaks and daggers for me at that time. I had no idea. It just looks mysterious. Like these guys poke at websites, break them down and get paid a lot of money. I want to
0: do that. So how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. I know it's an old joke, but Stoke, he had a full-time job consulting. So he started devoting a little bit of time each week, learning how to find vulnerabilities better and faster.
1: The first bug bounty I got was a race condition. And it was in something called a VDP program, a vulnerable vulnerable discloserable program. So it, it means that they don't pay any awards. And it's also the only um, bounty that I ever submitted that I never got paid for because
0: I just particularly didn't know better, I guess. Two things here. One, a race condition is literally that, a race. There's a really common example in InfoSec. Say you have a room with two light switches. They both control the same light. So you might enter the room and turn on the light. If someone else comes into the room and uses the other switch, the light will turn off it will cancel the first operation. So if you both enter the room at the same time, it all depends on the sequence of events, whether the light is ultimately on or off. This is a race condition. Second point, there are many, many different kinds of bug bounty programs, and perhaps in a future episode, I'll explain all of that. For this episode, know that individual companies can sponsor their own, such as Apple having an invite-only bug bounty, which can offer over a million dollars for specific bug classes. while Google and Intel have their own open bug bounty program. Then there are the aggregators, companies like BugCrowd and HackerOne. They work with different and sometimes smaller companies and independent hackers, handling all the back-end that's necessary. They pay, and often pay very well. And they have two tiers, one that is open for everyone, and one, you have to be invited to join, like Stoke.
1: I joined Hacker One, and usually, what happens when you join this platform is that you got a amount of different uh, customers that you have a possibility to to let's say hack or research stuff at, and the, the, that's called like the the open programs, the ones that are available for anyone that signs up, and that could be. Um, be pretty daunting because they are well-tested grounds they are very big. And, uh, so I was lucky enough to get a, after a while, got a private invite to a program that, that I started to test on. And, um, and, um, it took me about from the day I started to, I found my first bug, maybe it took like two months, but I had no prior experience in using tools like burp or actually no web stuff. So I, I, what I did is that I used turned burp on and then did my normal kind of browsing through any kind of website that I stumble upon like the way that I always do it and I looked at a traffic almost like you're looking at the matrix for the first time you see that moving and all these green characters are just falling down you have no idea what's going on but these guys that sit there they're like oh yeah no I know what that is that's like totally different part of this planet or another dimension and you're like well those guys know what they're doing but after a while I got that sense too because you see these posts and these get requests going back and forth and server responses and the way things just communicated with each other. So I just trained my mind in understanding how web traffic flowed and how communication with third parties worked and what kind of
0: flows that were inside web applications. Remember, Stoke has extensive background in Microsoft Active Directory and Azure. He was particularly skilled at finding faults in configurations. So naturally, he settled into his groove within bug bounties, his particular bug class, by taking the road less traveled by other bug bounty hunters.
1: And since I had a bit of, I wouldn't say a bit, but since I had infrastructure background, I realized that... I I knew how things communicated. So race conditions, which is a very logical bug, uh, is something that I focused primarily on because I figured that it was a fairly untested area. It wasn't on the top 10 of the OWASP top 10. And uh, and it's really, really hard to test for. But if you want to dedicate time to it and you're able to... Make it work in your way, it can have dire consequences for that com- company because you can more or less farm money or or, or fiddle around with transactions and and it 's also like very time based and, um, and yeah, so it's, I choose that bug class like i 'm just going to do one bug class and then, then i 'm going to find a bug on that, and once i 'm done with that i 'm just going to keep on to the next target and the next target until I feel comfortable enough with the technique that I have to change to another bug class, learn as much as possible on that one, and then move on again. So I, I would say primarily two and a half year in, and I still don't do XSSs
0: that well because I never look for XSSs. So Stoke quietly began with amazing bug bounty wins. There's this thing, a leaderboard, where you're ranked based on how many vulnerabilities you find, how critical the vulnerabilities are, and how much money you've accumulated overall for your efforts. At some point, Stoke got noticed. He got invited. I guess I was lucky enough to, uh, to, to find a couple of really
1: cool bugs, like bugs that really put me on the map as a researcher. Like, whoa, this guy knows what he's doing. He doesn't have that high reputation, but he has a very, um, he's good at reproducing results. So, um, I got invited to a live hacking event in Amsterdam uh, because we were in Europe, I was flown there and the target was Dropbox at the time and I was nervous, but I got there and I met all these other amazing hackers. and. Uh, and I did terrible. I, I did so bad at that event that I, I didn't really know what to say. I, I, I sent in a couple of really crappy bugs. But then again, I got a network of cool people to talk to and, and created uh, a lot of new friends and realized like this is finally the place where I totally belong. And I said to myself that day, I'm going to do anything I can to get invited to another one. So I used after that event, I got home. I I every week hour I had, I kind of more or less focused on learning more techniques or 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 just practicing my skills. Uh and eventually was lucky enough to get invited to Vegas for uh, H1702, which is Hacker One's flagship event. And once I was there, I submitted a couple of really nice crits and uh, and got some amazing awards uh during that that stay Uh, i can't disclose the targets uh but it was really it was a big big time for me a a big thing to be there with all these amazing hackers and see that i could prove myself to deliver results
0: under high pressure so and, and i've been doing that ever since so previously, I've covered what it's like being inside a CTF, being on a team like PPP, the structure of the DEF CON CTF, and the way it unfolds over several days. You can find these in episodes one and two of the Hacker Mind. A live hacking event, like the ones hosted by Bugcrowd or HackerOne, are different. I'll let Stoke explain.
1: It's usually structured this way. so. I, I, one of it's either hack one, so it's either Hack One or this Bug Crowd that, or Integrity that have these live hacking events. Usually those players, but Hacker One, particularly, it works like this normally. So um, there's a vetting process where you get selected to be a part of the hackers that's going to be able to hack on that live event, and it's everything from. I don't know, twenty to hundred people, depending on how big the event is. Like the flagship events in Vegas, a lot of people get invited. Some of the smaller ones, a lesser group. So, if you if you if you make the cut and you get invited, there's a two week um, presentation from the day that the scope is getting released. Normally, that's how it works. In the beginning, you would get the scope on the same day, but hey, that, that doesn't work. Like, You can't take 30 people in and expect they found magic stuff in eight hours. So everybody needs um, at least two weeks to prepare. So what they do is that they, they have a call and they release the scope and they explain what they're interested in finding. You can ask questions and talk to the program and then it just kicks off all hands in. And usually what I do is just eat, sleep and function that target for two weeks until it's time to travel to the location. When you're at the location, then you have a, ti- a small window for two or three hours where you get to send all your reports in. Once the reports are in, then what is defined as the dupe window closes. So if you find the same vulnerability as somebody else after that period, uh, you won't get paid anything because they don't, have, they don't have time to fix it, right? It's, it's just bugs coming in and then you hack for about eight hours. Uh, and after that, there's, uh, there's a break and there's open bar. And then it's a show and tell where the best bugs get reported or some of the bugs that are creative and fun are getting shared with that group that are there. And uh, then it's just a party and it's all over.
0: That's kind of how it works. Sounds pretty cool. You get to fly around the world with an amazing community of elite hackers. And if you're lucky, you'll have some extra money to take away from it. Meanwhile, the company being tested has vulnerabilities to patch, hardening their systems even more. That's a win-win for all. So, listening to this, what advice does Stoke have for anyone wanting to follow in his footsteps? I would say, um,
1: first off... We, we need to understand that this is not, this is not for everyone. Uh, in the beginning, I thought that anyone could do this. But I realized that since it's a very competitive space and, uh, and it requires time and interest, you, you need to be passionate about this kind of stuff. You need to really like what you do because just following... Um, the checkbox or just following let's say if you're following the trail of money you will not be satisfied because there's going to be something else or you you need to be seriously curious about breaking web apps if you want to get into this today And, and and like what i do i i approach it as a hobby i I do it one day a week and primarily one day because if I get too excited, I can't sleep and it fucks my life up because I, I'm getting so consumed about the whole process of just putting that puzzle together. And, And if I'm really, really close, I'm like, Oh man, I can't think about anything else. And, and I research stuff and I try to figure things out. So, so I can't do it every day because then I wouldn't end up with any sleep at all. So so I just need to pace myself in that. But I would say anyone that's interested is that, that start to dabble with JavaScript. JavaScript is everywhere. If you know how that works, it's going to give you a really, really big leg up to everyone else that has no idea on how it works. And... Try to understand the basic principles on how web applications work, especially in 2020. Because it's it's going to be WAFs in front of there, load balancers, there's going to be a front-end server and a back-end server. How does communication work? Understand the logic between how a web application functions right now with all these different proxies and routing paths. And if you figure that out, you'll realize that hmm, you can actually poison requests, you can dabble with things. There's so many new attack surfaces that are beyond copy-pasting, XSS payloads everywhere.
0: We started off talking about the community, about early BBSs, about meeting people at hacking conferences, about the live hacking community. Stoke remains very committed to that, and he offers this advice. So I think collaboration is also
1: something that's very important if you're doing this, and especially now, because the more eyes that look at a target together and you'll, so so I would suggest for anyone that doing this, find a friend that aren't on your level. Just don't don't try to, let's say that I, say I was interested in finance. uh, I wouldn't go to Warren Buffett and say, could you mentor me? That 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 would be a problematic thing, but maybe there's somebody in my neighborhood or a friend of mine that also likes to save money, and we can just research, you know, the art of compounding together. So, but in, in, instead in hacking, that would be okay. Should we poke at this stuff together? And you will grow, and you can communicate, and you can code together. Just create. Um, you you will have a some kind of person to. To sh- shift your ideas on, because otherwise you'll sit there and you just gnaw at your head like, "What's going on? I can't figure this out. How? Who should I ask? You can't just ask random people on on Twitter because." maybe you're on an nda maybe there's some information that you're not supposed to talk about. So you, you need to, to be very careful with that. But finding a, a friend or a couple of friends, like I, I hack with a group of amazing hackers called Disturbance. And uh, and we really complete each other with different skill sets and 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 how we approach things. And and it's really, really fun to work as a organized unit with I wouldn't say here Key, but we got defined areas that, that we do to collaborate as a team. And uh, I, w- I would suggest anyone that, that, that's want to do that is to have that kind of team approach because it's way more fun and you, will,
0: you can cover more ground and you don't need to do the same thing as the mixed guys doing. So even if you live in Kansas, you can still become an elite hacker. Stoke comes from a city on the opposite side of Sweden from Stockholm. So what advice does he offer to people who maybe can't get on a plane and go to DEFCON or don't think there's anyone out there that can help them?
1: I would say there's a plethora of uh, discord channels out there. There's a lot of them, like each and every um, content creator has one. Nahamzak has a really good, uh, um, he has a really good discord um, called the Nahomies, I think. And, and, and uh, inside of PhDs, I want to, there's a lot of people that have their own discourse. So I would just start to hang out on YouTube, Twitch, uh, or, um, or any kind of space where there's people uh, doing like CTFs or talking around bounties and stuff. And so you get some peeps to play with and, uh, and start from there. It's like, I'm, I'm going to do this hack the box tonight. Anyone want to tag along? Do you want to do it together? And then that's usually like, I I know it's, it's kind of like a JFK uh, thing to say, but don't, don't ask what others can do for you, for you, ask what you can do for them. Kind of the approach. If you say that I'm going to hack on this target, do you want to join me? And, uh, and usually people say, yeah, let's hunt together. And, and But just be very concrete on that and say that, okay, so let's hunt on this together. We're going to do a 50-50 split. Whatever happens, we split it. And, uh, and then you remove the whole monetization part out of the way. You know that you both of you is just going to smash it and give it your best and... And because there's a lot of trust in this, if I'm working on a bug that I want to share with somebody and and you're not on the same private program as I am, I can't share it with you because you need to be on the same program. So if you're hacking with somebody, take an open program and hack
0: together and just have fun because it's supposed to be fun. I really want to thank Stoke for coming on the show. And if you really want to learn more about him, check out his YouTube channel for weekly updates on the bug bounty world, or maybe support him on his Patreon account. Hey, before you go, remember to subscribe to The Hacker Mind and never miss another episode. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, so many different platforms. Check us out. For The Hacker Mind, I'm clearly not hacking enough these days, Robert Famosi.